Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. Does zeal for Jesus consume you? Most of us would admit that we are often consumed by almost everything but Jesus. As disciples of Jesus Christ, however, we want to live our lives increasingly consumed with Jesus Christ. Let's open our Bible now to John chapter 2 and look at the all-consuming zeal of Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It's a uh, Friday morning here in Texas. Hopefully y'all are just doing well and uh, just rolling along in Jesus, just uh, spending time with Jesus, just, um, you know, growing to know Jesus, um, worshiping Jesus, and um, just trying to make Jesus, you know, a bigger and bigger priority in our lives. Um, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, gave his life for us. Right, He was tortured for us. He became a human man for us, lived a perfect life for us, died a, a, a torturous and perfect death for us on our behalf and in our place. And he is indeed alive and risen, right? And our only reasonable response to that, right, Rebecca, is to increasingly live our lives for him, right, Janet? In, in response to what Jesus has done and does do on our behalf, the only reasonable response, right, Melanie, is to spend our lives living for Jesus, loving for Jesus, giving for Jesus, and forgiving for Jesus, right? Everything we do, we do unto Jesus, right? Um, when we forgive someone, Right. You don't forgive for yourself. You don't forgive for them. It's a good thing to obviously not hold anything against anyone. But ultimately, we forgive for Jesus. Right. We have been forgiven all of our sins in Jesus Christ. If we are if we're a Christian and we're trusting and relying on Jesus Christ as our only Lord and Savior. Um, and, and the only reasonable thing for us to do is to be forgiving to all others who have wronged us, right? So thank you, Lord Jesus. Today we're continuing in John chapter 2. Um, we're going to do verses 12 through 17. <clears throat> very, um, it's, a, it's a very serious passage, and uh, it's about when Jesus goes and, and clears out the temple. And uh, man, I've had some uh, just some, some wonderful study in this and uh, learn some things that I had not learned before. So <clears throat> we're going to go ahead and pray, and then we're going to read it, and we will get rolling. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Well, Father, we do thank you for your mercy, your favor, and your goodness on our lives. Um, Father, we thank you for the living word of God. We thank you for the holy scriptures, Father. I thank you that our Bible is a holy Bible, Father, and that you are our holy God. Father, we worship you and we thank you and we praise you today. Above all, Father, we thank you for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Jesus, we, we worship you and we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for, for this study, Lord, and, 
And what you have for us, Lord, is you went in and, and cleared the temple courts in Jerusalem. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now. Give us eyes that see and ears that hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I um, This is a brand new shirt I'm wearing. One of the elders, Jesse, had, uh, had told me that this was the best shirt that I wear. And so I went out and I bought two more of them. So now I have three of this shirt, right? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's apparently a really nice shirt, and I really like it. So thank you, Lord Jesus. First time I've, I put it on this morning for this recording. So, all right. John 2, verses 12 through 17. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay. Um, so in verse 12, it says, after this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples there they stayed a few days so remember that um in verses 1 through 11 of this they were at a wedding in cana in galilee um the distance from cana in galilee to capernaum is about 16 and a half miles or so i was doing my study on that okay um and uh, scholars say that that Jesus had relocated his home base to Capernaum, okay? You remember he was born and raised in Nazareth, and now for his ministry uh, years, which, remember, Jesus only had three and a half years of ministry, okay? Um, the, the entire work of Christ's public ministry was three and a half years, um, as amazing as that is, you would think it's more. Jesus lived around 33 and a half years, okay? Um, and so this is his home now in Capernaum. And it says, after this, after the wedding, okay? Um, and you remember the wedding where he changed the water into wine, and that was the first of his miracles and the miraculous signs um, where he had revealed himself. It said that his disciples put their faith in him. Um, so after this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. Okay. So when it says with his mother and brothers and his disciples, it's interesting that it does not mention that it doesn't mention Joseph, Mary's husband. If you go back up into, um, verse one, right. Where it says on the third day, a wedding took place at Canaan, Galilee. Jesus's mother was there. Okay. 
verse 2, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding, we notice that Joseph isn't, isn't there as well. And so um, scholars do say that the only reasonable conclusion is that certainly Joseph has has died and gone to be with the Lord. Okay, Joseph's an incredible man of God, um, Mary's husband. And uh, the reason he's not mentioned is he is almost certainly passed away and is, has gone to be with the Lord. Um, but it does say that, that he went down with his mother and brothers. Now, when it says his brothers here, you notice it's, it's, uh, it's distinguished between and his disciples. So there are two groups of people, mother and brothers and his disciples. So who are his brothers? Almost certainly, if not certainly, his brothers here are the other children that Mary and Joseph had beside Jesus. Okay, They would have been the natural children that Mary and Joseph had together. Okay, uh, The reason I say natural children is obviously Mary gave birth to Jesus, but that wasn't a natural birth, right? Meaning, um, well, the birth was natural. Jesus, you know, uh, came from Mary's womb in the natural way, but the conception was not, right? It was um, Mary, you know, Mary was made pregnant by the Spirit of God, right? God, the Holy Spirit, is who made Mary pregnant. And so, obviously, that was not the case um, with Mary and Joseph's other children and Jesus's brothers. Um, so again, these are these are Jesus's half brothers, so to speak, right? Um, you know, half brothers because you know these children came from Mary and Joseph, where Jesus was born of Mary, but his father was God the Father. Was was you know the Holy Spirit came on Mary and made her pregnant, right? Thank you, Lord Jesus. So it says. You know, he went down there um, with his mother and brothers and his disciples. So around a 16 and a half mile journey, right? So they, you could make that in a day, right? Um, uh, they could have broken it up into two days. We're not told how long it took, right? But it says that he went with his disciples, okay? Everywhere Jesus goes, he goes with disciples. And I think it's an important distinction because there's a difference, right, Peyton, between a Christian and a disciple, okay? A Christian is someone who is trusting in Christ, relying on Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sin and the salvation of their soul, okay? They have genuinely called on Jesus. They've asked Jesus to come into their heart, to be the Lord of their life, to save them from their sin, to bring them to heaven when they die, right? Um, they know that they're sinful, they know that, that there's nothing they can do. They're hopeless in their sin. And they know that Jesus Christ is the only solution, that only in Jesus Christ can their sins be forgiven and can they be saved and ultimately go to heaven when they die. Uh, they know that Jesus is the only solution to their sin problem and they're, they're currently trusting in Jesus, right? That's a Christian, right? You're saved. Jesus Christ lives in you. Okay, um, you're a child of God. God the Father is your heavenly Father. Um, a disciple is something different, though. Okay, now you have to be a Christian before you can be a disciple. If you remember, in uh, 
in Matthew verses uh, Matthew 28 verses 18 to 20, Jesus makes this profound statement that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. This is the risen Christ now. He said he's the boss of everything. God the Father made God the Son the boss of everything. He says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he says this, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you and I'll be with you to the end of the age, right? Um, but you notice he said, therefore, go and make disciples, okay? So he didn't say go and make churches, although, you know, we need church. Church is a good thing. Um, he didn't say go and make converts or go and make Christians. Or, but of course, we, we have to be a Christian or a convert to Christianity before we can be a disciple. The point here is what Jesus is looking for is disciples, okay? It's important to see here in verse 12, after this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and disciples. They are following him, okay? He is not following them. It's our job to follow Jesus as his disciples, okay? A disciple of Jesus is different than a Christian. A disciple is a Christian. They have received Jesus Christ as their only Lord and Savior. They are they are currently trusting and relying in Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins and the salvation of their soul. They are a Christian. A disciple is saved. But, but in addition to that, a disciple now is a disciplined follower of Jesus Christ, right? We actually get our English word discipline, right, from, um, I believe it's the Latin word, disciplus, right? So in order to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to be a disciplined follower of Jesus. Are you a disciple of Jesus today, right? Because you notice that it's disciples that follow Jesus, not Christians, right? Or are you a disciplined follower of Jesus? Do you spend time with Jesus every day? Do you look to walk with Jesus, right? You know, these disciples walked with him 16 and a half miles here, right? Um, they're going to take a much longer walk here in the next verse. But are you a disciplined follower of Jesus? Are you increasingly spending more and more time with Jesus, growing to know Jesus, growing to love Jesus, growing to know his love, right, Jason? Growing to know, just growing to know him intimately and experience him intimately. Um, I read you the verse in uh, Matthew 28, 19, go and make disciples of all nations. And at the end, it says, Jesus said, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So a disciple of Jesus is someone who's, who's growing to obey the word of God, growing to obey the Bible more and more in every aspect of their lives. And so if you're not a Christian today, okay, you want to go back and you want to become a Christian. You want to confess to the Lord that you know that you're sinful, that you cannot save yourself and that you need a savior and that and there's nothing you can do but that you believe Jesus came and lived a perfect life for you and died a, a torturous death for you and that he is alive and risen and that and that you're trusting in Jesus and you're asking Jesus humbly asking Jesus to come into your heart 
and to be the Lord of your life and save you from your sin and bring you to heaven when you die. Okay. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay. It's not the words that save you. We use the words, right? But it's Christ that saves us when we genuinely cry out to him to be the Lord of our life and and, and believe in him to save us from our sin, right? And trust in him, knowing we're hopeless without him. So if you're not a Christian today, give your life to Christ, as we just said. If you are a Christian today, right? Are you a disciple as well, right? Examine yourself. Are you someone who's consistently going to Jesus throughout your day, throughout your waking hours? Are you spending time with Jesus every day? Do you spend time reading and studying the scriptures, the living word of God, right? Do you spend time in trying to cultivate your relationship with Jesus in, in prayer? Do you spend time in prayer and, and fellowship with your heavenly father and with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit, right? We have a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and, and our life is meant to be spent in relationship, growing to know God our Father as our Heavenly Father more and more, growing to know Jesus better as our Lord and Savior and Master and King and Friend, and growing to know the Holy Spirit. He, the Holy Spirit is our guide, our counselor, our comforter. So, so if you're not a disciple today, Go, go to the Lord and say, Lord, I ask you to forgive me. And I, I do want to go from being a Christian to being a, a true disciple, a true follower of you, Jesus, in every aspect of my life. There's nothing, there's nothing more worthwhile in this life than being a genuine disciple of Jesus Christ. God has given his word, right? Thank you, Lord Jesus, right? Now look at verse 13. It says there were a few days in Capernaum, verse 13. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem, okay? When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So the distance from Capernaum to Jerusalem is around 78 miles, okay? So um, apparently in my research, you know, if, um, you know, it's... Uh, you know, 78 miles, it, you know, if you do, uh, you know, it's it, apparently it's around 35 hours of walking, right? Um, so if you did it around 12 hours a day, um, you could make it in around three days. And again, I was, I was studying this with my brother, Jesse, uh, today, he's an elder at Kingdom Discipleship. And we were, we were talking about how these distances these distances seem a little crazy to us, right? You know, he goes from the wedding at Canaan, Galilee, and they and they walk to Capernaum, 16 and a half miles. And then, then, then they take this, you know, this casual walk for 78 miles from Capernaum, Capernaum to uh to Jerusalem, Scott, right? I mean, it seems like a like a crazy thing for us here 2,000 years later with our airplanes and with our uh, you know with our cars, right, Bobby? And, you know, but in Jesus's day, this, this was life, right? You walked everywhere. It's just what you did, right? Obviously you'd walk, you'd find a, a good place to sleep. And, um, you know, it's just, it was just, it was just part of your day-to-day -day existence, right? For them, it was not, it didn't seem abnormal. 
And, and hopefully that makes sense, right? If you were raised in this culture where everywhere you went, you just walked, then uh, that's what you do, you know? It, it does speak, though, to the uh, just the... <laughs> Just the incredible, uh, you know, how do you want to say it? we're kind of spoiled in this life, Stephen, right? We, I mean, we just, you know, we, we can go 78 miles in an hour, right? Not walk it in what, four days, right? It's, uh, you know, it's, it's incredible the technology we have and the favor we have, right? To, to travel all around the world today. And uh, Father, we do thank you. I ask you to forgive us, Father, forgive me where I've just just taken all of these blessings, Lord, for granted. I really have, Father. I've just taken these all for granted really my my whole life. And uh, I ask you to forgive me, Father, forgive us and and help us, Father, just to, to know the favor and the blessing in so many ways of what it means to live in 2021. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay. So now he is... Up in uh, in Jerusalem, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. We're going to see that his disciples went there as well. Okay, remember, a disciple is a follower of Jesus, and they're they're following Jesus, right? Jesus is obviously being led by the Spirit of God everywhere he goes. Um, we had uh, we had talked about that in John chapter one, and the you know the baptism of Jesus, and uh, when we when we spoke about that, and uh, John the Baptist. Um, and we, we made references to Jesus's baptism after his baptism, the Holy Spirit comes on him and then leads him out into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights where he's tempted by the devil. And now Jesus is led here up to Jerusalem. But look at this in verse 14. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep and doves. And others sitting at tables exchanging money, okay? Um, it was said, and again, and this is in my research, Jose, right? That at this time, the probability is there's an estimated guess that around 250,000 people would be in Jerusalem. Now, some estimates go all the way up to a million, but... In all the different research I did, it, it seems that around 250,000 people would be in Jerusalem at this time for the uh, for the Passover. And so it, imagine, and it's not that big a place, okay? So um, it, it's just, there's it just a sea of people everywhere, okay? It's packed and Jesus goes <clears throat> to the temple courts, okay? Um, and the temple courts were the place where, you know, you would go and you'd go into the temple as a Jew to, to worship God. Now, um, apparently, again, scholars tell us that, that in the courts is where the Gentiles could pray. Now, remember, a Gentile is anyone who's not Jewish, right? Um, if your nationality is not Jewish, right, then uh, you're a Gentile, right? Um, and they could pray right in the uh in the outer courts there right um and yet the place had been completely overrun overtaken right it's just it's mobbed and completely overrun with just people doing business right and it, it you know you can see how it makes sense because there are masses and masses hundreds 200,000 people there right 
And so it's it's a good time for for people to look to make money. It's a good time to do business, right? But uh, this was not what this area was created for, right? Um, clearly, right? Because it says in the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So get the picture here, because this is about to get real, right? I mean, real, okay? Um, this would have been a common practice. Maybe it might have it might have gone on for years. Could have been going on Jesus's whole life, and, and in probability, it, it, it kept going on after he left. But it's it's out of place, okay? And uh, but no one has ever said anything about it. No one's ever done anything about it. Um, and you and you wonder why that is. Why would why would something like this, which is out of place, why was it allowed to happen? Meaning were the, were the, you know, were the, were the religious leaders, were the Pharisees, the, the, the Sadducees, the, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, were they getting a kickback from all this? You would think they were, right? Because this was happening right under their noses, right? And they, no one was doing anything about it, right? But in comes... Walking up comes a young 30-year-old carpenter-turned-itinerant preacher, okay? And he walks in, right, May, among these, uh, among these 200, 250,000 people, right, that are around the city. Look at it. All of this just been going on, been going on for years. It's, it all seemingly is okay, but I guess it's not okay. Look at verse 15. 14. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. 15. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, all, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. 16, to those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? Yeah. This is not the baby Jesus no more, is it, Scott? Right? Yeah. See, everybody's going along fine. Again, try to get the picture of this, right? This 30-year-old man, right, walks into Jerusalem goes to the temple, right? And sees that that this, this place that was made to be a holy place where worship for God is meant to be done, the whole thing's been turned into a hustle. The whole thing's been turned into a business opportunity. The whole thing has been completely and totally perverted, right? From being a place where you go and worship the Lord, but it was being prostituted, right? In a way that, that, that they were using it to, 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 to make money. Right. They were using it as a market. They were using it as a business. They were, you know, just like, again, 
right? When you have big celebrations or state fairs or whatever, you know, where you have, wherever you have masses of people, you got people setting up markets, right? And there ain't nothing wrong with that. But you, you don't do it um, at the temple, okay? You don't, you don't use God, right, in, in what should be a place of worship for God, for Jesus. You don't use that as a place where you go and carry on your hustle. You see what I'm saying? Where you go and try to do your business, right? And, and you kind of do it under the auspices of, of God, right? Yeah. One of the great principles, one of the great and powerful principles in verse 15 is that Jesus never reacts. You'll always hear people say, Jesus got angry. Never once. Jesus never got angry when, when his person was disrespected, which is really why we always get angry, right? Is when we're not treated well or when we're treated selfishly or when we're not, you know, respected. Jesus never got angry when his person was disrespected, okay? You're going to see him get angry here because, number one, uh, God the Father was being dishonored and disrespected, right? And number two, people were getting take people were getting taken advantage of and that in the name of God and now he's angry. Right? Hmm. Like I said, no one did anything about this. Could have been his whole life, could have been 30 years, who knows how long this was going on, right? But you know, Jesus always brings order to disorder. But when he does it, he never reacts, okay? Right? A uh, one of my first uh, spiritual fathers, Brother Rick, right, taught me this, right? Jesus never reacted. Jesus always acts. You see, when you react to something, Matthew, you allow the person or circumstance to control you. But when you act, okay, when you deliberately act, you are choosing thoughtfully how you want to behave. So Jesus just doesn't go in there, see what's wrong, and just start flipping up tables going crazy, right? Look at verse 15. So he made a whip out of cords. How long did that take? So he made a whip. How long did it take to make that whip? Who knows what it took him, right? Could have took him 15 minutes, an hour, two hours, three. We don't know how long it took. But it says he made it, right? You know, he didn't just blink it into existence, right? So, so he made it. He went and got some cords, made his whip, and thoughtfully considered what he was going to do. Didn't react. Surveyed the situation. Looked around. This ain't going to work. Went and, went and made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, drove everything out, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers, overturned their tables, right? No one had ever seen this, right? Everything's been going on. We're, we're not going to get into it in this teaching, but they're going to ask him, where do you got the authority to do this? In verse 18, uh, the uh, uh, the Jews are going to ask him, you know, what they're demanding. Why are you doing this? Because he's he's messing up their commerce. He's messing up. He's getting in their business. He's getting in their pocket, right? Huh. 
Now, we're not told who he uses the whip on, right? We're not told if he uses it on the animal, on, on, the, on the men, or just on everything, right? I mean, I don't, I don't know if he was, I mean, you just, can you get the picture of him just, you know, he, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's, he has a righteous anger, right? So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Um, what, what are the, what are the places in our lives where Jesus needs to come in and make a whip? You know, are there, are there places in our lives where we have, how do I say it? I don't How do you say it ni nicely? Are there places where we have prostituted the anointing? of Christ prostituted the call of God on our lives where we've prostituted the gospel. You know, it's easy to look at this and say, well, man, we, we wouldn't do that. We don't do that. But I, I don't know. I'm not so sure. You know, do you think there are places in, in our churches today where sometimes Jesus might come in and start overturning tables, right? And it's not that, you know, uh, it may not be that we've made the church into a market or what it has been, but remember, we are, you know, we're part of the body of Christ. Remember, Peter said that we're being built into a spiritual house, right? Jesus Christ is the, is the, is the foundation of that house, right? And each one of us are little spiritual bricks in that house, right? And, uh, you know, in what ways are, have we, you know, really misused the house of God? Remember, as Christians, we're a spiritual house, right? In what ways do we need to overturn some tables in our own life, right? Obviously, metaphorically, we need to overturn some tables in our own life first and then in the lives of others, right? Now, again, we're not, you don't just start going into places and wrecking things, right? But, um, you know, I, I do think that that there are areas in our lives, in our life, in our lives, you know, where, where Jesus wants to come into the temple area, okay? So we made a whip out of courts and drove all from the temple area, right? Well, our, we are the temple of God, right? Jesus lives in us. Again, we're a spiritual house. And in what ways do we need to be cleansed, right? In what ways do we need to be cleansed? You know, verse 16 is, is pretty powerful. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? Just to give you a, uh, an example, when I was a new Christian about 23 years ago, 24 years ago, I remember going to one of my first Bible studies. These guys were great across the street from the apartment and and they explained it to me like this. Um, why doves, right? Well, if you recall, um, people had to make their sacrifices and doves were the, the least expensive thing you could buy. So doves would be bought by very poor people, right? Underprivileged people would buy doves. And, you know, we don't know exactly how it worked, but imagine Jesus watching in a very, 
you know, a poor man goes up and he's he's traveled 60, 70, 80 miles with his family. He doesn't have a lot of money and he has to feed his wife and children and he only has $5 to his name. And, he, and Jesus watched this, watches this man go up to a dove table and, and the guy selling the dove says to the man, well, how much money do you have? And the man says, well, I only have $5, but I have to feed my family and, you know, we need some money for the journey home. But, and so the guy selling doves says, well, these doves, these doves are only $2. But these doves over here, these doves are $5, but the Lord will really be happy with these doves. And so the man's conscience is manipulated by the man selling the doves in the temple of God, right? And every bit of that man's money is taken from him by the guy selling the doves. And Jesus, now imagine Jesus watching this. Jesus watches this poor man. There's no difference in the doves. Jesus watches this very poor man get manipulated and taken advantage of in that in the name of God. Yeah. You can almost see why he's turning over tables, right? You can almost see why he's bringing righteous judgment. And it is interesting that, that this all went on. No one did everything. Everyone thought that somehow it was okay, right? Sometimes it takes Jesus and Jesus himself to show us that things are out of place. And sometimes it takes Jesus himself to make things right. Right? Lord Jesus, I do ask you to, in your mercy, Lord, to just to overturn the tables, Lord, in our hearts where we have, you know, where we have, Lord, um, misused you and your gifts and your mercy. I ask you to have mercy on us, Lord Jesus. I ask you to forgive us and cleanse us of this unrighteousness, Lord. And uh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right. Verse 17, his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. His disciples remembered that it is written. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have to remember what's written. Now, what they remembered was this, this, this phrase, zeal for your house will consume me, is in Psalm 69, verse 9. Okay? And his disciples remembered that it is written. The disciples of Jesus knew their Bible. One of the qualifications of being a disciple of Jesus, again, is that you spend time in the word of God. A disciplined follower of Jesus spends time in the scriptures, time knowing the scriptures. A disciple of Jesus, our lives are about growing to know the son of God and the word of God, the word of God and the son of God. Right, Chloe? That's all that matters, Ian, Benny, right? The word of God and the son of God, the son of God and the word of God, right? That's how we grow to know Jesus better, grow to know our Heavenly Father better, grow to know the Holy Spirit better. His disciples remembered it is written. How much time do you spend in your Bible, right? That's why we do these teachings is because they're, they're about the scriptures, right? Right, we just, uh, it's, it's, the, it's the living word of God that changes us, that transforms us, right? And that helps us to grow in relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord. And they remembered from reading in their Bible, right? And they tied Psalm 69, I believe it's verse 9, to, to what Jesus had done. 
Zeal for your house will consume me. What do you have zeal for today? Do you have zeal for the word of God? Do you have zeal for the son of God, right? No more, right? In the New Testament in Jesus, no more is it about a building. Jesus lives in us, right? Do you have zeal for the son of God who lives in you? Zeal to know him. What consumes us, right? I confess that oftentimes there are things that consume me that are not the Son of God and the Word of God. So what consumes you today? Jordan, what consumes you today? Father, I ask you to help us to, uh, to, to, to really live lives where we're more and more consumed with you, our Heavenly Father, with you, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, with you, Holy Spirit, and with your Word with the living, living word of God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Mm. Mm. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You know, there's a, uh, there's this amazing principle, right? Jesus, and I, and I learned this in my study, um, but you see how in the first part of John 2 in verses 1 and 11, Jesus does a conversion right? He changes the water into wine. And you know, that's the first thing that needs to happen in our lives. We do need to come and be converted as Christians, right? That's the first thing. But after we become Christians and we begin walking with him as a disciple, he begins the process of cleansing us, right? Just like he is cleansing this temple of all that's in there that doesn't belong, right? Well, Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy and goodness on our lives. And Father, we, we do pray, Father, that you would cleanse us, Lord, cleanse our temple of what doesn't belong, Lord. Lord Jesus, I do again ask you to come in and clear out and cleanse us, Lord, of all that's in us, spirit, soul, heart, mind, and body that doesn't belong. And we ask you to help us, Father, to be, uh, to be true disciples of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Help us to follow you, Lord. Help us to be consumed with you, Jesus. Consumed with love for you. Consumed with knowing you. Consumed with your, your word, our Bible. Hmm. Lord, we just love you. We bless you and we thank you. We, we ask you to help us to be men and women who deliberately act, but do not react, Lord. Help us to choose, even as, even as Jesus did, even as our Lord Jesus thoughtfully considered what he was going to do and then went and carried it out. Lord, help us to bring order to disorder in our own lives first. And then, Lord, use us to bring order to disorder in the lives of others, even as Jesus did. Father, we love you, we bless you, and we thank you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us now and guide us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.